Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Now, look, guys, BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to place a bet on all of your sports action. Baseball is back in full swing. Don't forget about the NBA and the NHL. The postseason is right around the corner. And BetOnline, they've got you covered with all your news, scores, and odds. It's the best place to place your bets, and it's also free to sign up. So what are you waiting for? Head to your mobile device and go to the website BetOnline.ag right now and sign up today. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit that's only at bet online your online sportsbook experts ladies and gentlemen thank you for coming into the pod today got a real special guest i'm super excited to talk to him he now works for nesn the new england sports network he also hosts a show called chicken dinner and works for fox sports as a betting analysis it's sam panyadovich hello sam how are you today i'm doing well my friend thanks for having me on i am ready to gamble always in case you're wondering Ready to gamble, and man, we got—we were just talking about it. We got two last names that are a producer's dream. Uh, just Christopoulos and Panyadovich. Just put them together, and I think we got pretty much the whole alphabet. It feels good. It feels good. Yeah, we don't have enough letters. Like I used to when they used to put. Well, we didn't get names on our jerseys until we made the travel team. Like when we were in Little right. League, or you know, like uh, bitty ball and basketball. Like you didn't get your name on the back until you made the all-star team. So I think I was like 12 years old and. You should have seen the arch from left to right. Like it's, you know, if you had the last name Smith, it's right across the shoulder blades, but there's an arch with our last name. Yeah, it's a crescent moon in font ten, I think is how they used to pull it <laughs> off. Pull it off with us back in the day. And yeah, no, like uh, my, my wife, uh it, it's a joy of her life to be a Christopolis and she's going from a Karosi. She's also got uh, the jerseys, like in the NFL, Roethlisberger's a thirteen letter jersey. Some of the other NFL teams, they don't even go that far. They just cut you off. So we gotta deal with what we gotta deal with. Super happy to have you on the pod here. Before we get started, I definitely want to talk to you about some sports, about some gambling angles moving forward through the rest of this week, but kind of just help the listeners give a little bit of a background of, you know, where you grew up, where you came from. And most importantly, when you got the gambling itch, was it off of a win or was it off of a loss? Whew. Well, I uh, born and raised Southeast side of Chicago. I was a big Bulls fan, you know, growing up with Michael Jordan, when you're in third grade, he's got nine rings. It's sort of hard to ignore the success there and big White Sox fan as well. So 2005 is always going to be very near and dear to my heart, but uh, just typical upbringing, you know, middle-class family, parents worked hard, younger brother played sports. We, but we both played sports and all that. And I wanted to go to college, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I sort of, when I became a senior in high school at Mount Carmel high school, you know, I didn't really play any sports because I wanted to go on spring break my senior year, but I got into sports radio and I got into this like terrestrially. So doing shows in college and high school. And then when I got out of college, I interned at WGN radio and started covering a lot of these teams. Initially was a, was an intern, then a producer, then a reporter, then an anchor. And then eventually started to do a little TV here and there. And uh, it was awesome to cover the teams you grew up rooting for. You know, I was doing bulls, bears, Cubs, Sox, and Blackhawks. And then, um, I actually moved out to Vegas, which led me to Boston to be a sports betting analyst. So it's been a weird roundabout roller coaster. And the first bet I think I ever made, it's a little blurry, but I, I want to say I was like 15 years old. And that was on Vince Young and the Texas Longhorns. Of course, when you start, you don't know shit. I think I parlayed, and of course, at one. So, I mean, I feel like everybody wins your first bet, though. 
you said say to yourself, I think I'm really good at this. Uh, I think I should continue keep going. Uh, yeah, that's a great that's a great way to get into the to the gambling side to get into the you know getting your beak wet a little bit. Just quick side note, Mount Carmel, Antoine Walker, did you cross paths with him, or were you a little bit before or after his time? He's a little bit older than me, but I've uh, I've been out with Tuan. Tuan likes to get after it. Um, I'm sure you've seen some of the documentaries on Tuan and how he loved to get after it. Yes. But uh, yeah, that guy when when he used to roll deep in Chicago, we're talking you know when he was fresh out of the league and you know he had all of his money still Tuan would have the biggest entourage you couldn't believe how big this guy used to roll I mean he would have 30 people at a restaurant or a bar with him and unfortunately those bills add up and all that but when Tuan was rolling Tuan was good to everybody and uh yeah I used to drink with him on uh, on Clark and Division he used to love to go into some of the joints down there on the north side of Chicago and he always rolled pretty deep, man. I'm sure Antoine Walker is a very nice guy, but yeah, I think he's like on the poster for that ESPN documentary broke. So just to kind of fill people in a little bit about how he lived his life. And then Eddie Curry tried to take the mantle and lo and behold, wasn't able to pull up to it. I do want to ask you though, you're in Boston now, huge sports market, obviously probably a little bit of a different tenor and attitude from probably the Midwest Chicago sports, but visiting Boston for myself, I've always felt like there is a slight kinship. There's a cousin vibe between Chicago and Boston How's your transition been so far to the East Coast? They're very similar cities in a lot of ways. And I think when people ask about the comparison between the two, my first response, I think going forward, it's going to be there's an edge. There's an edginess about the people. There's a personality, but there's a hardened sense of worth, if that makes any sense. Like we're not chilling on the beach, you know, sipping a cocktail with a pineapple in it saying, sup, brah. You know, we kind of grew up around the concrete courts and, you know, we had we had friends that swore and we had parents who drank a lot. And it's just, I don't know, I feel like there's a personality there to, uh, and it's a different personality. I mean, everybody's got a personality one way or the other, but there's just this edge to the Boston sports fan, same way there is for the Chicago sports fan. I mean, you could sit around and, you know, arguments turn into heated arguments and, you know, people are very passionate about their sports scene. And I think there's just this edge to both Chicago and Boston, it's very easy for me to assimilate, at least for now. And speaking of that edge, can you just speak on real quick, how were the emotions running after the Boston Red Sox went 0-3 at Fenway Park for the first time since 1946? It's my favorite time of year. It's the early part of the baseball season. People get to freak out and overreact. How was Boston dealing with that, that, little, uh, that little opening from them? It was the first Major League Baseball regular season that I ever – remembered ending after three games that's that was the attitude <laughs> in boston Check, please. you know because well and it, it's even worse it's more compounded because it's the orioles and you know on paper the orioles are right one of the worst teams in the league but i think that's sort of past performance right when we think about the orioles we think about how bad they've been and not that they've gotten a little bit better i mean they have some decent pitchers and they have a lot of young players i mean i think the team going forward is a lot better than people realize but after three games, especially at home, home opener, you have, what, one hit or two hits or something like that, and then you get swept out of Fenway to open up the season. The sky was falling, and then, go figure, they sweep the Tampa Bay Rays, who are the reigning American League champions. So it's been a whirlwind so far. Uh, the team is now 4-3, and three, but from a betting standpoint, they're scoring a lot of runs, and they're giving up a lot of runs. They went under in the first two games, but in the last five games, all of them have gone over the total. So if you bet over eight and a half, nine, nine and a half, whatever, 
We've seen some 11 spots. We've seen some eight to four games. There's been a lot of offense on both sides of the field. And uh, that's been fun so far. I mean, it's one of those unpredictable teams where if you do blink or you do change the channel, you might miss something good, bad, or indifferent. And I did want to kind of ask you, wonder if, wonder if you could help bring us into your betting dojo a little bit for the listeners, because I think the beginning of a baseball season is really, really interesting, right? You got 162 games. Every single team thinks that they kind of, kind of got a shot right out of the gate. So from a gambling perspective, a lot of people are going to want to go to the window, right? And play some of these games. But as we just mentioned, Red Sox 0-3 out of the gate in Fenway. I bet no one really saw that coming. You know, how does a gambler properly you know, do you have to take a step away for a couple of days? You got to go on vacation a little bit. And what's your take on the Cubs right now? Like over this next week with their run line, the Cubs batting average as a team right now, I believe is still a little bit lower than if you put all the NL pitchers into one lineup right now. I think all NL pitchers are hitting 154. The Cubs are somewhere in that 140 area. How does a Cubs fan attack their run line over the next week? It's so early in the season. Yeah, when it's early, you have to be a little cautious because I think a lot of people that bet baseball, they sort of bet on what they've seen or what they've sort of been accustomed to over the last season or two. I think a lot of times people get lost in the fact that, all right, well, the Kansas City Royals have been awful for a couple of years and the Pirates have been awful and the Orioles always suck. I think not understanding that teams do change and morph from year to year. I think, I think a lot of people just fade teams that were bad in previous years and they can get caught up. Like if you were fading the Orioles in the first three games, you're down and you're down quite a bit, you know, out of the shoot, you're three and oh on the wrong side. Cause the Orioles sweep Boston, you know, Kansas city uh, started out two and one. And I think a lot of people expected them to win in the low sixties or low seventies. So, I think it's important to understand perception against reality. A lot of people perceive things to be a certain way when in reality, they're a little bit different. Um, as far as the Cubs, that, that team can't hit, man. They, they suck at the plate, and this is nothing new. Um, they've really struggled to get guys on base and, and get guys in the cross home plate for the last couple of years. And if you look at what they've done, I mean, we taped this on a Friday through their first seven games six unders and one over. Um, ironically enough, the only game that went over was opening day. And that's because Kyle Hendricks got toughed up in the first inning. So I, I think this Cub team is going to be fascinating the monitor. Like I don't really have much confidence in their offense. So it's hard to bet on a team when they can't score, but you could flip it on its head and try and maximize them in a different way. And I think it'll be interesting to watch over the next couple of weeks, because as you alluded to, there are always overreactions, especially after the first week of the baseball season. Week one in the NFL is the biggest overreaction of any sport because a team plays one game and it's like, oh, they're great or, oh, they suck. And then things usually regress toward the middle. But I'll be curious to see what the totals look like, you know, the run totals over or under. We've seen already some totals that have moved from eight and a half to eight and eight to seven and a half. So depending on how they play and how they score, I think those totals are going to be a little bit lower and I still probably wouldn't go over at this point in time. It's a low scoring team. I think all year long. Yeah. You're leading me into my next question perfectly because yeah, if the Cubs uh, in the Cubs case, obviously when they're hitting home runs, all seems to be right with the world and they seem to be putting up runs. But as we saw, as you mentioned, well, even in 2017, 2018, 2019, and definitely last year in 2020, when they got guys on base and they just need a base hit, just a single up the middle, they can't seem to get it. So, yeah, my question for you, and you're leading into it perfectly, is 
I think what we're trying to say out there to the novice, to the novice gambler is someone who likes to bet on their favorite teams, really pay attention to that run line, right? Because I think that's maybe where the fool's gold is, where if a team isn't scoring runs early, like the Chicago Cubs, over this next week, is, is Vegas really going to drop that run line down to kind of, you know, meet that sort of expectation? Or are they going to kind of keep it high, hoping that they can kind of get people trying to get on the over? Well, the books always adjust, and that's why the books keep growing and growing and growing, right? You never see a sports book going out of business, but you hear about a gambler running out of money. I mean, it's always that way, and it's always going to be that way. So what they'll do is they can't over-adjust too much, but it's sort of a slow crawl. Over a week or a 10-day period, you might see the average Cub total, you know, eight and a half, eight and a half juice to the under. But if they keep churning and you know, getting good pitching and playing good defense and they keep playing games four to two, three to one, those bookmakers are going to start shading that down. And it's going to go from eight and a half juice to the under. It's going to go down to eight. And then maybe it goes down to seven and a half, you know, juice to the over then. You can't drop a total too low because then you're going to have wise guys, sharp better, you know, come in and he's going to hammer the over. He's going to go over a low number and eventually things will even themselves out or even out, I should say. But I, I don't know that they go too low because, you know, there's always regression. It always sort of gets back to where it's supposed to be. And the average baseball total, you know, across the league is eight, eight and a half. So, We've already seen the Cub totals go from nine, eight and a half to eight. We saw a couple seven and a halves already. That in itself is a, you know, one and a half to two run adjustment already. So, you know, it's it still too high on starting pitch. Yeah, still too yeah, high. Well, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, they, yeah, like I said, you can't make a total five. You can't yeah, make it yeah, six because yeah. then, then you're going to write no bets on the under. Remember, the name of the game is writing bets on both sides. So, Whatever they feel will get them good two-way action, bets on the over and the under, as long as everything lines up and calibrates behind the counter, they'll be fine. But, I mean, the totals already are noticeably lower. And, you know, when Kyle Hendricks pitches and the wind is blowing in from left field to first base, that total could be six and a half. Um, Conversely, there will be games at Wrigley, and it doesn't matter who's pitching. When the wind is howling out, and I cover games on the north side for six years, there are games where a fly ball to shortstop is gone. It's on the wavelength, you know, because you get those 20-mile-an-hour winds that just push anything up in the air over the wall. It's still April. It's early. It's relatively cold. You don't have that yet. But there will come games in June, July, especially in August, when it's 80 degrees, 85 degrees, and that wind is bustling out, and nothing stays in the park. So, the Cubs are always an interesting team when it comes to sports betting. Especially at Wrigley, too, because sometimes you just got to look and see which way the flags are pointing, right? Pointing and then in, the all wind of a sudden changes. That can get, and yeah. then it changes. Yeah, sometimes it goes from be blowing out to blowing in mid-game. Well, I, I think last night with the White Sox, too, they had a rain delay. They got started, but then by around the sixth inning, like a 25-mile-an-hour gust came in, and it changed the weather about, like, I think, like 10 degrees and Steve, like Stoney was talking about, oh, here comes the weather. Everyone's kind of getting cold and chilly. It can kind of change mid-game like that. So my follow-up question for you is just tell the listeners, what's your philosophy, mantra, or maybe best advice you could give prospective gamblers in terms of mid-game live betting? Were you talking about the in-game wagering, like once the game starts? Yeah, once the game, once the game gets going, like, you know, in the sixth inning, you know, maybe the rain shows up or something. You can maybe play something where you play an under the rest of the way. Or for some people that like to play second half in NBA, 
Yeah, I, I mean, this is, you know, it's a very interesting question, and, and there's a lot of different ways that, you know, you could take a question like this. But I think, you know, when you think about baseball, you know, you always have in the back of your mind what the pregame line was because the pregame line is the true line. You know, like things will change. You, you could have a, a team like the Yankees, say they're a big favorite, they're minus 180 or, or minus 200 or whatever, and they give up, you know, three runs in the first inning. All of a sudden, that live line, the Yankees are maybe they're plus 120 or plus 130. And, and that's usually a good time to strike when everybody else is sort of running the other way. Like if the Yankees go down three, nothing, I'm more inclined to take the Yankees, especially considering, you know, they were a pretty big favorite. And now rather than late 200 to win a hundred, I can bet a hundred and win 130 or 140 and 150. So I'm, I'm betting the right team at the right price. And, you know, three runs in the first inning, it's it's a crooked number, but it's the game isn't over, you know? Like, there's still plenty of time. I mean, they haven't even hit yet. If it's the top of the first or down 3 nothing, we haven't seen anything yet. So it's important to remember that pregame line and how it correlates to the in-game line because oftentimes you could find good betting value on a team that was favored and now they're the underdog because of the way the first or second inning went. Um, I will say this, too. I love to look at teams that are trailing by a couple runs once that starting pitcher begins to go through the lineup a third time, because yes. usually that's either when he's going to struggle or he's going to be fatigued, exhausted and get the hook and bullpens, you know, unless you're the Dodgers or the Rays or, you know, teams like the White Sox, a lot of bullpens are really average. And we see these leads, changed like crazy you know a team will be up five to two in the fifth inning and then it's five to four and then it's six to five you know the dog was down three and now they're up one and you can bet you know I, I know guys that'll bet you know the dog pregame and then they'll come back and bet the favorite when they're down two nothing three nothing and then they have plus money on both sides now that's a little advanced but if you have both teams at plus money you can't lose obviously so it, it's a wild world when, when it comes to in-game wagering, and you can get really creative, you can try and anticipate when a starter is going to blow up or if a team is going to get hot against the bullpen, you can put your money where your mouth is at any point of any game, and it's so awesome to be able to follow this stuff. That's a great call, too, as well, because that's, that is a situation that happens often in baseball, right? And that's the human element of a manager sometimes tries to get those extra 10 pitches out of his starting pitcher. The guy lets a guy get on base, whether it's first, second, or third. They open up the bullpen, and then those inherited runners, more often than not, can score, especially if that guy from the bullpen comes out and he's not really ready to roll. And that's probably a really easy way to just kind of get in there really quick and maybe make some action happen. I think, too, Joey, when you think about, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth inning, you know, I always cringe whenever I make a bet on a team and my pitcher – throws that dreaded leadoff walk it yes. always it always makes me nervous it doesn't always come home but oftentimes if you strike quickly if a team is down three to one or four to two and the leadoff man of the team that's trailing gets on base because of a walk I'm curious to know because there's no data on this but I'm, I'm curious to know if you would live bet the team trailing after they receive that leadoff walk, because oftentimes that leadoff walk turns into a single, Comes which turns into score. a double. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like two runs are in and there's a runner at second with nobody out. And that pitcher is, is losing it composure wise, 
losing a little control, trying to throw harder than they should, and the ball stays straight, doesn't tail, and all of a sudden that leadoff walk spirals into a four-run inning. So if you were to bet after the leadoff walk, like now, now I'm curious because I hadn't really thought about this, and and you're you're invoking some some deep strategy in my brain, which I love you for that because I I didn't even think about this coming into this call, but I'm curious now to think about if I were to bet on the underdog trailing three to one at a good price right after that leadoff walk, I wonder if I would make money in the long run. There's stats out there for inherited runners, right? And then just think about that is one of the most chaotic moments that can happen in a baseball game. That leadoff walk happens with the bullpen guy. What happens after that? The crowd either reacts, you know, positively or negatively, depending on which home ballpark you're in. The phone starts ringing. The bullpen starts rustling. The guy goes to the rosin bag. Maybe the catcher comes out to the mound. I mean, it turns into like a therapy session really, really quickly. And man, yeah, that game gets super tight, super fast. And I'm wondering... Maybe we're onto something. Maybe there is an advantage there. Um, you know, if we crunch out the numbers, I'm very curious to see how it would uh, how it would all suss out. And the worst part about that for a starting pitcher or a reliever fresh into the game after that leadoff walk and that you know potential mound meeting, when they get that double play ball and the shortstop boots it, you know, like in the glove, you get stuck in the glove, right? Oh. And he can't turn it, and the guy's safe at first, and. Oh, it's it, those things in baseball, those leads, you know, I, I always say, you know, a, uh, a big lead early in a football game is, is like the worst thing possible, especially in college when a team goes up 17, nothing, 20 to nothing. And then they give you that big money line in a big college football game. And all of a sudden now uh, that team that was a three point dog, they're down 17 and you could take up three or four to one on the money line. And, by halftime, it's tied or something like that. You know, so there are a lot of swings in sports, but the swings in baseball are unlike any other sport. I hate betting baseball sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. And I don't know if you've gotten a chance to watch the White Sox yet this year, but I mean, the, the whoever's running the blooper reel for the Chicago White Sox is a very happy man right now because they've got errors all over the ballpark, which honestly I think is causing wild, wild swings within their games. You know, they've blown a couple of leads already this year. I can't imagine it's been very happy for gamblers. Let's take a quick break to talk about our brand new sponsor, Canon Sunglasses. Now, my sunglass history, it's a little checkered. I like to live a funky, fresh lifestyle, but I'm always breaking my sunglasses or I'm buying that $10 cheap pair and then losing them automatically. Well, no more, I say. It is time to make your outdoor experience better with Canon. Canon sunglasses are made exclusively with polarized lenses for optimal clarity. They're made with Japanese optics that make your lenses clearer, lighter, stronger, and Italian handcrafted frames that are impossible to scratch. And let me tell you, these Canon sunglasses, they are absolutely perfect for the golf course. So use the exclusive code CANONCAST15 at canon.com to receive 15% off your first pair. That's right, CANONCAST15, K-A-E-N-O-N-C-A-S-T-1-5, Canon, clearly better. Now, back to the pod. I do want to switch over there real quick, though. You've been doing some excellent work. Um, on your website this week in terms of previewing the Masters for people. I know we're recording this on a Friday. We're releasing this episode on a Monday, but let's just maybe play prognosticator. Or maybe let's just see if you are right. Tell me maybe one prop bet that you wish comes true this weekend, or maybe something that's looking pretty good right now that you predicted, you know, Justin Rose is on the, on the top of the board right now. And Tony Finau's well, a little bit of a charge. Full disclosure, lost my first Masters bet. I had no hole in one. So I lost that. Day one, Tommy Fleetwood aced one, and that, and what was that, that one minus you know, 175, right? 
for a hole in one? Well, I had, yeah, I had the plus money. I, I, I took the no at plus money. I got plus 130. Uh, yeah, the yes was minus 170, which I that's, thought was insanely high. That's like the safety it, in it the goes, Super Bowl. Like a safety will happen in the Super Bowl because it happened like two years in a row. All of a sudden now that's like a minus number like moving forward. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, safety used to be about 18 to 1 or something like that. And now you look up and a safety in a Super Bowl is 7 or 8 to 1. Because yeah, the book, yeah, yeah. look, they're not, they're not going to pay that shit out, you know, more times than one and then and, and keep doing it at that price. So they're always going to they're always going to remove your edge if, uh, <laughs> if you catch my drift. And, and a lot of people were betting yes on the hole-in-one. Now, I, I still don't think it's a good bet at minus 170 because hole-in-one at the Masters used to be minus 120, minus 130. But now, you know, laying 170, it's just, it, it decreases your chance of winning long-term the more juice you lay. Like, if you're laying 170 you know, on a regular basis – you have to win way more games than you would if you bet minus 110, minus 115. So the juice kills, as I always say. Juice juice is not your friend in sports betting. Um, but for the Masters, I, I did have Patrick Reed um, at 35-1 to 1 to win the event, and I'm hopeful that you know he can continue to play as well as he has so far. Uh, he had a pretty good opening round. He shot uh, three under through 17, and then he bogeyed 18. So that was no fun. But I played Reed um, outright, and then I also played him in a matchup against Jordan Spieth. And I think this is sort of strategy going into any golf tournament. I love to fade the hottest golfer on the block. And Jordan Spieth, let's not forget, on March 1st, he was 50 or 60 to 1 to win the Masters. He wasn't playing well, he wasn't in good form, and he hadn't really finished. Well, over the last five weeks, he's played well. A couple top ten finishes. He won at the Valero Open down in Texas. And when the Masters started, Jordan Spieth was 9, 10, 11 to 1. So I'm not going to bet him 9, 10, 11 to 1 when I could have bet him 30, 40, 50, 60 in the prior weeks. But his ascension up the outright board makes him more expensive in the matchup, in the head-to-heads. And that's a market that a lot of professional bettors love to attack because – it's hard to beat 80, 90, 100 golfers, man. If you go head-to-head, though, you're going against one golfer. And what I'm talking about with the value, Spieth went from being you know, probably a dog in a lot of the matchups to being favored in almost every matchup. He was minus 130 against Patrick Reed. I took Reed against Spieth, plus 110. Uh, Spieth and Rahm were both minus 110. Spieth was, I want to say, minus 120, and Rory McIlroy was plus 100. So because Spieth has been playing well and people are betting him like crazy, it in a weird way creates value on everybody else in the head-to-head. And I honestly thought about just blindly fading Spieth because if he has one bad round, he could lose all those matchups. And I think he's on pace to lose, I think, two of the three that I just mentioned. So it's always important to know when to strike the right golfer you should have bet Spieth a month ago. You shouldn't have bet him on Thursday before the Masters. But you can use that value against him because it makes everybody else a little bit juicier. Yeah, he's minus four today, minus five overall. But tomorrow's moving day. And look, this is all about Justin Spieth, Jordan Spieth, excuse me, closing out tournaments. That's been his biggest problem. Any of this kind of rotten in Denmark to you just a little bit? I mean, the guy wins the British Open last week. He's coming off a victory, but all of a sudden Tiger's not out now in the Masters. I mean, Jordan Spieth is a name. 
or is he getting juiced up just a little bit? I mean, is that, is that what's kind of driving the action is maybe more the name than the guy actually playing golf at this current time right now? When it comes to Spieth, it's what have you done for me lately? And if he would have shot, you know, a, I don't know, a, a 10 over on the first two days of the last tournament, nobody would have bet him at the Masters. But because he just won, betters love to remember what they've last seen. And you see him with the trophy and you see him playing well on a Sunday and you see him get that big cardboard check. And it's like, ah, maybe he is back. You know what? <laughs> I like Jordan Spieth at the masters. And it's like, okay, do you really like it? Or are you react? Are you reacting to what you've last seen? And I, I think 60% of people, maybe even more, they react to what they've last seen. It's why when the chiefs win by 10 or win by 20, people are going to bet the chiefs the following week. You know, I can't believe they're only laying four on the road. They just won by 20. And then they win by a field goal. And people are like, how the hell did that happen? Well, because inflation is real. Overreaction is real. And I think it's important always, look, if you like Jordan Spieth at the Masters, you know, going into it, that's fine. But I would, I would warn you about reacting to recent success. You always want to avoid the recency bias because, believe it or not, that stuff is built into the betting lines. The bookmakers are aware of how golfers are playing and how teams are playing. This is kind of off the map, but you got me thinking about it now. In my opinion, was was the Chiefs Buccaneers Super Bowl prior to the game? We all know what happened in the game, but prior to that game, was that one of the hardest Super Bowls to handicap, honestly, because of the large faction of people that said, this is Patrick Mahomes' time versus you can't bet against Brady? It was hard to handicap because we didn't know how banged up their offensive line was. Like, we didn't mm, know. Like, good point. We, we knew that Fisher was out. You knew he wasn't going to play, but there were rumors that one of the other guys might play. And there were rumors that the O-line looked pretty good in practice. And obviously that was a crock because they just got swallowed up in the trenches. And if I would have known that Kansas City couldn't block Patrick Mahomes, I wouldn't have picked the Chiefs. Um, I made five bets in the Super Bowl. I went three, one, and one. The only one I lost, I had Chiefs minus three. But I just, I, I wasn't aware how bad it was. And I think a lot of us were surprised because I watched the first quarter of that game, first, you know, 20 minutes of that game, and I thought, uh-oh, this is a losing bet. And I didn't chase it down the rabbit hole because you could see the pressure the Buccaneers got. I mean, they, I think the pressures were like 35 to 9. Um, don't yeah, quote me on that. The fastest linebackers, the, the fastest linebackers in the NFL, I think, last season were on the Buccaneers. And the, but the defensive line just they just got through the offensive line, and if you can get through the A and B and C gaps, it just opens up the lanes for everybody else. And then when you're putting pressure on the quarterback, he's got to escape the pocket, and it makes life on the DBs easier. And it it all starts at the point of attack. It all starts at the line of scrimmage, and the Chiefs got dominated. I didn't think that was going to happen, so. That's why I took Kansas City. I, I thought KC had too many playmakers and they had too many weapons, but they were getting punched in the mouth on both sides of the ball in the trenches, and that's why they lost that game. I didn't realize it was going to be that bad, and that's why I failed to bet in the Super Bowl as far as picking the side. Just a couple more questions here for you, Sam. Thank you so much for joining the pod today. We're going to do one more gambling one, maybe one fun one on the way out the door. Uh, I just want to ask you about these Chicago Bulls. Um, the Chicago Bulls. Uh, five straight ATS, their last five games. They make this huge trade. They lose seven in a row. They've come back. They've won three in a row. I think they're right now actually sixth in the NBA against the spread. But in my opinion, they're one of the hardest teams to figure out. They blow 17-point leads in the third quarter like nobody's business. I think they still lead the league in turnovers. And yet somehow they continue to cover spreads. How does the Bulls gambler move about the rest of the season with the Chicago Bulls team? 
I hate betting the NBA. Let me start by saying that. <laughs> I think I've made three NBA bets all year. It, it's hard to do every sport. And I think a lot of people fall into that trap of, well, I can pick them all. I can bet hockey and golf and basketball and football, and I can do it all. And I, the NBA in the regular season, to me, has been a crapshoot for years. It is so tough because a lot of times we don't know who's playing. We don't know who cares. There's so much that goes into an NBA regular season. I, I like the NBA playoffs betting because at least I know everybody cares, <laughs> unlike the regular season. Yeah, you get a little but, that home court advantage too as well. You kind of know like, oh, this is the swing game. Like, you know, the game fives and stuff like that. You got you have a feel by that time of which team's going to maybe come out on top. It's amazing what good coaching does, though. The Bulls have been so bad on the bench for the last, what, five years? I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I was there when Tibbs got – Tibbs got fired, I think, after the 2016 playoffs. I think that sounds right. Yeah, so you ripped, no, uh, Hoiberg, I thought it was Hoiberg 16-17 replaced in 18, Boylan 18-19. Yeah, no, you, yeah, you could be right. It could have been after 15. Okay, so either way, it's been five years since they've had a coach with a brain. Um, and, and Billy Donovan is an exceptional coach when it comes to schematics, when it comes to adjustments. And most importantly, when it comes to development, guys get better under Billy Donovan and his coaching staff. Guys got worse under Jim. Jim Boylan sucked. He was awful. Like he, he was good at nothing, but he was friends with Michael Reinsdorf. So that in, in the Bulls organization. He had spirit, brother. He had spirit. He had spirit and guts, oh, brother. He sucked. And, you know, Gar Foreman, Gar Foreman was a moron. And, and Gar Foreman kept the job as long as he did because – his wife and Michael Reinsdorf's wife were, were running, friends. Yeah, so weren't like, they running? Yeah. They were in a business together. They weren't they running a charity or something like that, or something along those Yeah, lines? I think they were. They were very important with uh, Bulls charity. So mm -hmm. you know that organization has always been about loyalty, and that's probably a different conversation for a different day. But I do think down the home stretch, the Bulls are playing with a purpose. They're trying to make the postseason. I mean, they've said as much making these deals. You don't trade for Vooch without trying to win. You know, if you're trading away good players and, and getting draft picks, you're not trying to win. The Bulls are proving that they care about the final stretch. And and you rattled off that, you know, they're top six in ATS. They're 29 and 21 against the number through the first 50 hmm. games. Um, you know, good teams win, great teams cover. So they're one of the best cover teams in the league. And that's a testament to, I think, the coaching number one and the effort number two. Um, you're not going to get a Bulls team that, that doesn't try or doesn't care. And I think trying to navigate these waters at the end of a season, a lot of teams just don't give a damn anymore. And it's hard to bet money on teams like that. That won't be the case, though, with the Bulls down the stretch. I think the best part about this Bulls team this year is you're totally right with Billy Donovan. It's a professional, competent outfit that's finally out there. But in, just in terms of just watchability as a fan – on a Tuesday night, you know, I'd be like, you know what? I'm going to watch the Bulls game tonight. Oh, I'm a little late. Let's turn it on. It's the second quarter. They're down by 27. And you're like, Jesus, like that's not really happening anymore. It seems like at the very least they are staying competitive and in it. I'm going to maybe uh, maybe make some enemies or maybe make some friends for you with this question here. But there is a possibility that the Celtics and Bulls play in a play in tournament situation. I know the Celtics have been a very frustrating outfit this season. They're probably more talented than our Bulls team. Two teams step on the floor together, Celtics-Bulls. Who would you maybe give the edge to right now? Celtics would be favored. Um, and I'm trying to figure out, like, I still, you know, don't shoot the messenger. I still don't know what this play-in tournament. Like, I don't know. Is it a best of one or a best of three? I have no idea. 
Uh, maybe the NBA doesn't know either too as well, but I, th- I thought it was, uh, it was one of those like sudden death kind of things. And so like seven and eight, like I thought like eight and nine played each other. And then the winner of that would get a chance to play seven and eight. Uh, don't quote me on that though, but there's a possibility. That the I, I honestly Bulls have, could be it, together. Yeah, I have no idea. And maybe that's, maybe, uh, that's not good for me either, but I, you know, I, I still don't understand the format. I mean, it's the first year of this whole, you know, play in tournament, which I think is stupid. That's a different conversation for a different day. But I mean, if it's a, if it's a neutral court game, you know, Boston, Chicago, the Celtics are a four point favorite. If it's a series like a best of three or a best of five, the Celtics are minus 170. So, you know, the Celtics are going to be favored, whether it's a one game or a, or a three game, whatever. Um, they're going to be the favorite to advance. I don't feel good about putting my money on the Celtics, though, because that team has a lot of issues, you know, on the floor when it comes to chemistry. And it's a very me, me, me type situation. Like, it's my turn. It's his turn. It's his turn. It's it's not fun to watch. And, you know, they're they're not as good as they've been, and they're not as tough as they've been over the last handful of years. There's been a lot of changes in that locker room. They're sort of retooling on the fly around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, but by no means are they a lock to get past Chicago in any form in the postseason. So if you can find the Bulls at a good price, if you can get, you know, five points or six points in that game or get plus 130 or 140 in that short series, I would be thinking about that in that particular matchup. Final question, then we're going to get you out of here. What do you miss most about Chicago? I know you're on the East Coast now. You got a great gig, great opportunity, but don't tell me there's a couple moments where you're like, ah, I kind of miss that. I miss everything I've ever known. Can I say that? <laughs> I mean, I, you know. Hey, I've been out. I've been out in LA for ten years, and I still think about stuff. I watch a Cubs game, and when they hit a home run, I go, "Damn it, people are doing shots right now at a bar and regular." You know what I mean? I get that vibe all the time. I miss the people. Not to say that the people here aren't great, but I also have found it interesting to meet new people in the middle of a pandemic or maybe halfway through the pandemic or whatever. I mean, I still don't know where we're at in the pandemic. I mean, I was on a flight the other day and the, the flight attendant held up a cardboard card that said, pick one, two, three or four. So you don't take your mask on to give me your drink order. I'm like, OK, I don't know what's going on, but I <laughs> it's like signs I, I like think- a third. Is it a third base coach uh, that's doing the signals for you? And you just have to they do the hold indicator? up a sign. They sold, they hold up a sign that says one for Coke, two for Diet Coke, three for Sprite, four for water. And don't take your mask down to tell us, hold up the amount of fingers that you want. I'm like, holy shit. This is, is, the, is the middle so, finger the scotch on the rocks? Is, is no, that, no booze, no booze on a couple flights either. Oh, not man. to get down that rabbit hole, but it, yeah. it's hard to meet people in a new city when you're walking around with a mask on, and you know restaurants and bars are at twenty percent capacity. So yeah, I think it's an incomplete. It's an incomplete right now to compare the two as far as the personality and the livelihood of a city. But I miss summers in Chicago already, even though I've <laughs> I've only been gone for four months, and I I won't. Uh, I won't necessarily miss summer yet. I, I, I cringe thinking about not being on the lakefront in the summer. That's one of my favorite things. I miss going to uh, White Sox games and Blackhawk games. I miss the food. I miss, you know, the steak and potatoes. I, I miss a lot. I miss my friends. I miss my family. But, you know, we're grown ups. We can deal with it. We can always, the good thing about it is we can always go back if we want. We can always take a weekend and go back to the 312 and hang out. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that things will open up here relatively soon uh, from the limited action I've seen on the streets of Boston. So far, so good. 
but um, I- I'm excited for uh, for summers at Fenway too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that could be a lot of fun having some beers at an afternoon game at Fenway and then going out on the town. Yeah, I can't imagine what it's like moving to a new city and trying to get acclimated and assimilated and meet some people during this particular time. So I totally hear you. But no, trust me, man, you'll you'll love Boston, but you still will always think about Chicago like it's out here. It's L.A. It's 70 degrees every day, blah, blah, blah. But I still think of the day when in Chicago it's it's been 30 degrees all week. And then, hey, you know, it's going to be 68 on Saturday and you have to figure out how to have the most amazing jam packed day that you possibly can because it's going to be warm that one day. You know what I mean? And you're hopping on and off trains and you're going from different parts of the city all day. I still think about it all the time. And and uh, you, you just might as well, too. Yeah, nothing like that day when uh, when when the snow melts and it turns to be, you know, 45, 50 degrees. And you were wearing a jacket, and now you got shorts and a tank top on. There's, uh, there's nothing quite like it. And your skin is as, as white as, as a preacher sheets. Uh, there's nothing more opaque <laughs> than the, the, the tanless than the tanless person that takes off their jacket. Sam Panevich, thank you so much for joining the pod, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. Congratulations on all of your success and the journey ahead for you right now. Uh, you got a huge fan and supporter of me. Please just tell the good people all the different ways that they can follow you, watch your show, and read your stuff moving forward. Easiest way is just to go to the Twitter page at SP shoot, SP shoot, like shoot a basketball. You can find pretty much anything you need from there. I'm writing for Nesson.com slash odds and uh, doing a lot of cool TV stuff out here. Unfortunately, you have to be in New England to watch the television, but you can see a lot of the content on the digital side and read the columns or whatever. And I appreciate your, uh, your compliments and your wisdom and your words. And thanks for having me on, man. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you so much, man. Hopefully we can do it sometime again in the future. And, uh, yeah, I, I wish you the best of luck. Maybe we'll bring you back on when Celtics, Bulls, lock horns, baby, and we can get into some actual NBA playoff basketball. But until then, thank you so much for coming on. This was Believe in Betting Chicago, Joey Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Head to the mobile device on the website this weekend. You can sign up for free today and get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. You got to make sure you check that out. Thank you so much for listening to this pod. We got plenty more stuff coming this week. Until then, be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. We will talk soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.